1: Stephen proclaimed truth openly and fearlessly. It got him killed. Thank God we're not at that point in America. But unless America has a spiritual revival, I say to those of you who are younger, I'm 58 now, so that's a lot of you. You You're younger, all right? If Jesus tarries and this country we live in does not have a spiritual awakening, your life, once I'm gone, And people of my generation are gone. Your life, if you want to live it for Christ and you want to stand for the truths in this book, you're going to have a much more difficult time than me.
0: Standing for God's truth will get much harder. In today's message from Pastor Danny, he teaches us about the realities of persecution throughout the book of Acts. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will receive some form of persecution. To be a Christian is to proclaim the truth of God's Word to the world. As time progresses, standing for the truth will become harder. However, Jesus is always with us, providing the strength and boldness that we need to share him with others. Now here's Pastor Danny with part one of today's edition of The Living Word from the book of Acts chapter 8.
1: Acts chapter 8. As far as we know, it's the only message he gave. It's certainly the only one we have recorded. It's by a man named Stephen, one of the early deacons of the Jerusalem church. Stephen gave the message. It was very cutting. It was spirit-filled, but the climax, he said to the Jewish leadership, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Well, <laughs> great closing, but... <laughs> They didn't like it too much. They were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him, and then they stoned him to death. So the message cost Stephen his life. And chapter eight opens this way, and Saul approved of their killing him, or the old NIV says, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. You don't want to miss verse four. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now that's as far as we get today. But next week, we'll learn more details about these scattered disciples and them preaching the word. Philip will go down to Samaria. A revival will break out there, but we get to that next week. I'm not trying to make it fit in. It just fits in. In a long-sought victory for the gay rights movement, the Supreme Court ruled by a 5-4 vote on Friday that the Constitution guarantees the right to same-sex marriage. Justice Anthony M. Kennedy, writing for the majority in the historic decision, said gay and lesbian couples had a fundamental right to marry. I quote him, No union is more profound than marriage, for it embodies the highest ideals of love, fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family. In forming a marital union, two people become something greater than once they were. The decision, which was the culmination of decades of litigation and activism, set off celebrations across the country And the first same-sex marriages in several states. And you would have to believe that the celebration in our own community last night was greater than ever. The gay pride parade. Came against the backdrop of fast-moving changes in public opinion. With polls indicating that most Americans now approve of the unions. The court's four more liberal justices joined Justice Kennedy's majority opinion. Each member of the court's conservative wing filed a separate dissent in tones ranging from resigned dismay to bitter scorn. In dissent, Chief Justice John G. Roberts Jr. said the Constitution had nothing to say on the subject of same-sex marriage, and I quote him. If you're among the many Americans of whatever sexual orientation who favor expanding same-sex marriage, by all means, celebrate today's decision. Celebrate the achievement of a desired goal. Celebrate the opportunity for a new expression of commitment to a partner. Celebrate the availability of new benefits. But do not let's not celebrate the Constitution. It had nothing to do with it. As Justice Kennedy finished announcing his opinion from the bench on Friday, several lawyers seated in the bar section of the court's gallery wiped away tears, while others grinned and exchanged embraces. Outside the Supreme Court, the police allowed hundreds of people waving rainbow flags and holding signs to advance onto the court plaza as those present for the decision streamed down the steps. Love has won, chanted the crowd, as the courtroom witnesses threw up their arms in victory. In remarks in the Rose Garden, President Obama welcomed the decision, saying it, I quote, affirms what millions of Americans already believe in their hearts. Today, he said, we can say in no uncertain terms that we have made our union a little more perfect. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, Mr. President. Chief Justice Roberts said the majority opinion was, quote, an act of will, not legal judgment, unquote. The court invalidates the marriage laws of more than half the states and orders the transformation of a social institution that has formed the basis of human society for millennia. For the Kalahari Bushmen and the Han Chinese, the Carthaginians and the Aztecs. Just who do we think we are, he wrote. He also said, and don't miss this one, people of faith can take no comfort in the treatment they receive from the majority today. I mentioned recently that our own governor, Rick Scott, who ought to be ashamed of himself too, signed a bill this month that allows gay and lesbian couples to adopt children, which puts our own ministry door of hope in a very tough situation that we have a lawyer working on the issues Right now, Stephen proclaimed truth openly and fearlessly, and it got him killed. I'm very thankful we're not at that point in America today, but please understand. And I look, I'm not talking about political issues here. I'm talking about a political decision that has a spiritual root, a spiritual root. Stephen proclaimed truth openly and fearlessly. It got him killed. Thank God we're not at that point in America. But unless America has a spiritual revival, I say to those of you who are younger, I'm 58 now, so that's a lot of you. You're younger, all right? If Jesus tarries and this country we live in does not have a spiritual awakening, your life, once I'm gone, and people of my generation are gone. Your life, if you want to live it for Christ, and you want to stand for the truths in this book, you're going to have a much more difficult time than me and my generation. I'm just saying that as reality. I'm not saying that to scare you. I'm not saying that to discourage you. And hopefully, if you'll listen by the time the message is done, you won't be discouraged. But that's just the truth. If we do not have a spiritual awakening, the, the, where we're headed is a culture, and we're headed there rapidly, rapidly, it's going to cost... The younger generation who really want to live for Christ, it's going to cost them more greatly. Paul wrote in Second Timothy 3.12, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, I'm not going to get into this, but Leviticus 18.22 says, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. It's detestable. New King James translates it an abomination. It means it's a disgusting thing. And while we're to love all men, and the heterosexuals who are sinning with sexual immorality are just as sinful as the homosexual community, the only difference in the homosexual community, it's a disgusting thing, it's a perversion. It's a perversion. That's the truth. And so what we're talking about, last Friday, a political decision in our own country that has spiritual roots, Romans 1 puts it as clearly as, As anywhere in the Bible it can be put. Romans chapter one, verse 21. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. That's heterosexual. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their own women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. In other words, there's a consequence to that kind of lifestyle. And any kind of sinful lifestyle continued to live without the grace of God and Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior has consequences. Consequences. Now, Jesus told us to pray for our persecutors. And I I just want to go on record. That's sometimes very difficult for me. It's not difficult to pray. It's difficult to pray a New Testament prayer. I want to pray Old Testament prayer. Break their teeth. (laughs) But that's law stuff. We're called to be like Stephen and like Jesus. Father, forgive them. Not compromise truth. Don't misunderstand. Never compromise truth, but don't retaliate. And pray for those who persecute you. But that's a challenge. Come on, can I get a witness? Anybody else as a Christian get challenged? You want to pray that prayer, break their teeth. I mean, that's just the way it is. Girl, I was seeing pretty regularly in high school named Debbie. I considered us a thing. She had no ring. We were not an official thing, but I thought she's my girl. Jody Jones asked her out for a date. She accepted. I hear about it. I tell my friends, I'm going to kick his butt. Lo and behold, that Friday evening, I'm at Roost Drive-In. Guess who comes pulling up? Jody with Debbie in the front seat. Jody gets out of the car, comes walking over to me, says, I hear you're going to kick my butt. Let's have it. We go around to the back parking lot of Roost Drive-In, and we had it out. It started like this. It ended up on the ground. Somehow Jody got on top of me. He got a couple of really good punches in. One hit me right here. I had braces on at the time, foolish thing to fight with braces. Although that night, I look back and I'm kind of thankful I had braces because I'm convinced if I didn't have braces, this tooth would be gone. The braces helped hold it in. It just pushed it back and, and they had to try to fix it, but they couldn't totally fix it. And still today, if you felt my tooth, and I'm not going to let you feel my tooth, but this tooth right here is further back than this tooth. And every time I feel it, I think of Jody Jones. And the bad news that night at Roost Drive In is Jody won the fight. You want to hear the good news? I got the girl. I lost the fight, but I got the girl. She felt sorry for me. Oh, where does it hurt? Well, it hurts right here. You know, many times that's the way it is in the Christian life? You lose the fight, perhaps, but you win the battle. Yeah, that's the Lord. Here's the way Paul put it. As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We're considered a sheep to be slaughtered. We look like we're lost. We've lost. No, in all these things, in the whole context of that scripture right there is all the negative things that people sometimes are called to suffer for the name of Christ. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. As a result of Stephen's death, as we covered not long ago, God would use Stephen his life, his message, his countenance. They saw him as the face of an angel. And then to hear what he cried out, Father, don't hold this sin against them. Don't hold this sin to their charge. And Saul would never forget that. Saul of Tarsus. And he's leading the charge in the persecution against the early church. As he's leading the charge, the Holy Spirit is goading him, goading him. And he shares in his testimony as he stands before Herod Agrippa. He says, the day he got saved, he said, the Lord said to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I'm convinced one of the greatest goads was Stephen. His life, his message, and the way he died. Stephen's response to his persecutors was a powerful witness. Stephen stood for truth when persecuted for his stand for truth. He did not retaliate, but he humbled himself and even prayed for his persecutors. That's a great challenge, though. That's a great challenge. Now, biblically, believe it or not, there are several advantages to persecution. And so while I want to see our country have a spiritual revival and move away from the direction we're headed, I want to see that as I know all of us do. But if we continue moving the way we're moving, it'll be greater cost to the younger generation who want to live for Christ. But there are some positives. Biblical advantages to persecution. Let me just throw one out real quick. I've already said it. Proper response to persecution is a witness to our persecutors. Persecution proves the genuineness of our faith. Peter says in 1 Peter, all these trials you're experiencing, these things that are trying your faith, your faith even though it's more valuable than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, that your faith may be proved genuine how's anybody gonna know that we're the real deal unless we persevere through tough times how are we gonna know we're the real deal how are we gonna know the world needs some believers who say like Habakkuk let me just read it Habakkuk 3 verse 17 though the fig tree does not bud there are no grapes on the vines though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls yet I will rejoice in the Lord I'll be joyful in God, my savior, because we have hope beyond this life. Persecution can be used by God to advance the gospel. Did you note, please note with me that this outreach in Acts chapter eight, this outreach, nobody volunteered to be scattered. Did you hear that? This outreach is not a result of a missions conference where they brought in some good speakers, had some good music, and then invited people that felt called to go to other lands and other geographical areas to spread the gospel. No, it didn't come about like that. It's not the result of the apostles getting together and brainstorming prayerfully. How do we begin to fulfill what's been called the Great Commission? How do we be begin to, to get the gospel out of our world and into the world at large? Because Jesus said, go into the, God, go into the world, all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He said in Acts 1.8 to his disciples, you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. But it wasn't a brainstorm session on how to fulfill that. These guys are running for their lives. Now, stop and think about that. Nobody expected persecution to be one of the primary means Of spreading the gospel. This is where the Jewish temple was. Not just the temple. Herod's temple. Magnificent. This is the church where nobody had any needs. Because everybody got their needs met. Nobody had any needs. Financially. Miracles are happening. It's the church of the apostles. You talk about good teaching. Three of these guys would become known as pillars in the church. Peter, James, and John. It's the city where Jesus will come back to where he ascended from. He's going to come and his feet are going to plant on the Mount of Olives. Many of them, it's their hometown. It's where mom and dad are and grandma and grandpa and aunts and uncles. You know, it's where they raise the kids. And despite the persecution, they aren't willingly leaving. They're running for their lives. Even in our world today, despite the terrorist activity in the Middle East and especially in Israel, and despite people wanting to wipe them off the map, there are Jews from all over the world still today flocking back to the land of Israel and especially the city of Jerusalem. They want to be there despite the turmoil. That's the way it would have been here. And so in the sovereign plan of God, I thought of it like this. This church, there's no question, this church is on fire. This church is on fire. And here's Saul leading the charge and persecuting the church. And and here's the church on fire. And every time he hits it with persecution, sparks fly out. And a new work is planted somewhere else. Does hell really think it can win? Paul personally said, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Just a few verses. Verse one. I urge them first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. For kings and all those in authority, chief justices, Supreme Court, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Here it is. Who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. Now, go from 1 Timothy, just flip over easily to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, catch this statement. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, those that would say yes to the gospel message, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. God's ultimate purpose for the world, this world of people, is that they might be saved. Therefore, God's ultimate purpose for us is that we might be a witness to a lost and dying world headed for hell. That's the ultimate Purpose of God. Now, let me switch gears just a little. Evil is behind any persecution against God's people. Evil. There's evil and there's good. No in between. There's evil and there's good. Evil is behind any persecution against God's people. But if you noticed, if you studied the Bible at all or heard the Bible for, for any length of time, if you know much at all about the stories of the Bible, you know what God does? repeatedly? He turns evil into good. I didn't say he makes evil good. I said he turns evil into good. And he loves doing it. I think it's possible every time hell has a plot and a plan, I think the father might just get a grin on his face. Like, you, really, you really think that's going to work, huh? You really think you're going to win? God loves turning evil into good. He loves it. Here's the famous verse. Now I want you to say it with me. If you don't say it, I'm not sure what the usher will do to you. (laughs) I'll leave that up to him. Say it with me. Come on now. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And his ultimate purpose is that all men might be saved. But here's the painful part. What God will allow in a believer's life in order to accomplish his ultimate good purpose can be painful and can be here's the word perplexing the great apostle paul wrote these words we're hard pressed on every side but not crushed perplexed but not in despair persecuted not abandoned struck down not destroyed we always carry around in our body the death of jesus so that the life of jesus may also be revealed in our body you know what that word perplexed means completely baffled very puzzled Stop and think about the cross for a minute. Pilate said to Jesus, don't you know I have the power to crucify you or to set you free? You know what Jesus said? You would have no power over me if it were not given to you, granted to you by heaven. The story of Job, one of the most mysterious stories to me in some ways still, it was God. That question Satan. There in Job chapter one. Where have you been? I've been roaming throughout the earth. What's he doing? We know. He's looking for someone to devour. Now he's not looking to devour unbelievers. He's already got them. He's looking to devour believers. And God said back to Satan. Have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless and upright. You know what Satan said in response? Job one verse 10. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? In other words, you could string it out and say, Satan is saying, of course I've considered Job. I've been wanting to get at Job for years. But you put a hedge around him. If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, there's a hedge of protection around you, and Satan cannot touch you. Some of you are thinking, he's going Pentecostal. No, I'm going biblical. That's just biblical. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. The angel of the Lord is Christ. Now, there are two ways Satan can get a believer. Two ways. One is, Ephesians says, don't give the devil a foothold. If you willingly give him a foothold, then, then that foolish decision, you give him in into your life. But if you don't give him that in, he can't touch you, unless the second way takes place. Have you not put a hedge around him? Satan said to the Lord about Job, and in God's sovereignty, God allowed Satan, God breached the hedge. Then he breached it some more. And then he breached it some more. And he allowed Satan to rob, kill. Job lost all of his children in one day. And destroy. He allowed Satan. Unless God had breached the hedge, Satan would not have been able to touch Job. Just like he cannot touch me and he cannot touch you if you know Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior.
0: Being a part of a church community is a theme we see in the book of Acts. It's important to surround yourself with people who are actively seeking Jesus in their everyday life. People who can encourage you and support you in your own walk of faith. You, in turn, get the opportunity to share your gifts and talents with your church family. If you haven't yet found a church in your area, we encourage you to find one soon. Are you in the St. Petersburg area? We'd love to have you join us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet each Saturday at 6 p.m. and again on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Each service contains Bible study, prayer, and worship of our incredible Savior. Hang out for a little while afterwards to meet some friendly faces. Don't forget to shake hands with Pastor Danny and let him know that you're a listener. Find out more about Calvary Chapel Fellowship at our website, ccfstpete.church. If you can't join us in person, we have a live stream of all of our weekend services. Just visit ccfstpete.church and click on the link in the menu. While you're at our site, you can listen to additional teachings from more books of the Bible by clicking on sermons. You'll be redirected to our YouTube channel and don't forget to subscribe. That way you'll never miss a new edition of The Living Word. You'll find the link again at our website, ccfst p-e-t-e church that's all we have time for today on the living word may God bless you as you continue to seek him in your personal life and in your community join us again next time for another edition of the living word